Good morning, everyone. Here we are, July 4th week. and got all these folks here and watching online. And to all the folks that are on vacation and you're watching online, I know a bunch of you said you were going to do that this week. And True Worth, uh, so awesome. Will you, get, you allow us to worship with you? And I want to say hello to our campers. There's a chance. We have about 140 uh, young people plus adults that are at camp. And I know there are some who are probably kind of checking in wondering, do we even mention them? We're mentioning you, okay? I'm telling everybody that you're at camp. And adults, I know you're tired. You're sleepy. You didn't sleep at all last night. You're sunburned. The kids are loud. You're exhausted. You're worn out. Sorry. <laughs> but thank you. Just thank you for doing that. Thank you. And I would encourage the body, please be in prayer uh, for all of our kids that are at camp this week and all the adults who are there caring and ministering to them. Uh, it is a work. It is a job. It's good work, but it is work. So, so please remember them in that way. So we're going to hand out some Bibles. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you didn't bring it with you, they're going to walk the aisles. You can just kind of raise your hand. I know True Worth, you have them there in the sanctuary. You have yours right there in front of you in the pews. If you want one, bring it to you. If you're a guest, this is not our way of embarrassing you. Uh, we're not trying to call you out or kind of recognize you. It's just a way to give you the Bible in your hands. We're, during the summer, we're doing some Bible study, and we're going to be flipping throughout the pages. We'll put some on the screen. It will not all be on the screen. Uh, during the summertime, we find out some of the serious Christians are here, uh, or maybe even the serious doubters. I mean, you're not even sure if you believe in God, uh, but you're here, and you're wrestling. You're seriously wrestling, and you're welcome here. And so we hope that this will help you wrestle a little bit more. And if you are a guest and we've not met, I would love to meet you. My name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'll be out at the crossing next to the Welcome Center. And I would love just to say hello and meet you, shake your hand, and, and say welcome to the neighborhood, especially if you just moved here from some other place. I, I would love that opportunity. Again, thank you for coming. So this morning, we are going to kind of have a classroom experience. This is going to be called class. Uh, we're in the fourth week of a message series we're calling Colossians Rethink. And so I'm going to get you to think this morning. This is not just going to be hopefully just not an inspirational kind of a preaching time. We're going to change this into a classroom. We're actually going to do some teaching here, uh, some knowledge and some information. Hopefully at the end, bring it to a person, one of application. At the end, hoping one thing of application that you're going to take with you. So catch everybody up. We're studying the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians as a whole, four little chapters, is about one word, and that word is subversion. Say that with me, subversion. Very interesting word. That word, or subvert, sub is in Latin means under, like a submarine, under. And vert means to turn. So subversion, or to subvert something, is to be on the inside of it, be under it, and to try to change it, try to turn things in a different direction. That's really what subversion means. Now, I've been thinking about that word a little bit, and I remember a time when this church did subversion. And some of you were there, very few of you were there. This, we only had one worship time. Now we have five. And we have folks online at True Worth, and we have them in the sanctuary and places all over the world here that, that connect with us. But we didn't have all that. One worship time, 11 o'clock in the sanctuary on the other side of our building. And so this service would start. Everybody would walk in. I would sit down up front, and there was only a couple of hundred, 250 people. And I would scan, and I would take roll. I could actually take role by where people sat and where they didn't sit. And I did it every Sunday because people sat in the same place 
every Sunday. I mean, they were just like these little robots go to the same spot. And if somebody had your spot, you didn't know what to do. So, so I would check roll. I would check roll. And I would say, hey, listen, this, I, I didn't see this last week in worship. You say, well, how do you know I wasn't there? Well, your seat was empty. I mean, I could check roll. Well, one weekend, they thought they would get all up and mighty, and they were subversive. And here's what they did. The people who sat on this side sat over here, and these people sat over here, and these people sat here. And so I walk out, and I sit down, and I went, holy crap. What just happened here? I mean, who's here? Who's not? They all started laughing and clapping. They were subversive because they turned upside down my whole way of knowing who was here and who wasn't. And so that, they were subversive. This book of Colossians is doing that in a bigger scale in a much more important scale. And here's how I would sum it up in one statement. Do a little review for you, those that are just joining us. These four little chapters, what Paul is saying here, the birth of Jesus Christ is a subversion of every earthly kingdom, especially the Roman Empire, which was the kingdom of the day. The birth of Jesus Christ turns upside down everything you believe and know about what a kingdom or a country or a nation is about. That, that's what he's doing here. Now, in week one, in week one, we established that by talking about something called the Pax Romana. In Rome, they had something called the Pax Romana. So this, the president, emperor, commander-in-chief, whatever you call, he was veered to be someone like the son of God because Julius Caesar ascended, they think, when he died, he ascended to be a god. Augustus is the next one on the throne. He's the son of God. And here's what Augustus said. All you people, I know what you need and want. You want to have security. You want to be safe, and you want prosperity. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build the biggest military force the world has ever known. He did that. I'm going to build the most profitable economic engine in commerce that the world has ever known. You are all going to be wealthy. He did that. And I'm going to give all of this for you, my Roman citizens, if you do one thing. Give me all your devotion. Give all your devotion to me. And so there's little coins that everybody had in their pocket. We're going to put a copy of when we show this week one. And over here on the left side, that's Augustus, DVF, that's in Latin, divine filios, the divine son. He is divine son. And if you will come to me and bow before me and you will bring your homage and worship me, I'll give you all of this. And Paul writes the letter to this little church, Colossae, who's in the Roman Empire to say, no. The birth of Jesus Christ is a subversion and the only person you worship is Christ in Christ alone, period. That's what he's saying. Now, in week two, we started kind of what? So that's what we did in week one. In week two, we started to open up uh, the book, and we went verse by verse in these opening verses in Colossians chapter one. And kind of a reminder here, he opens with a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, oh, I'm just so thankful for you, little Colossian church, because under the pressures of the Roman Empire and the government, the culture, man, you're doing pretty good. You're standing firm. But then he goes, but, but, 
Don't cave. You're doing pretty good, but you're a baby Christian. You're a baby Christian, right? You're this young, and you need to, when you're a baby Christian, it doesn't take much for you to cave into the pressures of the culture and the pressures of the world. So I'm going to write this to you to encourage you, do not cave in. Stay faithful to Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ alone. And we find, we, in fact, we find here in the section we're about to read in a moment, chapter 2, verse 4 of Colossians, he says this, hey, I'm telling you all of this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. So the arguments of Pax Romana, right, finding peace and all this sort of, don't buy into that stuff. I'm writing you this so you don't get, get coward. And they're going, hey, listen, uh, Paul, uh, don't you think we should be nice to our government? Because look what they've done for us, all this military. I mean, they're making us safe. They've protected our borders, and we're all good. We have, we're making all this money. Uh, shouldn't we give Augustus? Shouldn't we invest, invest in the political empire? Shouldn't we be doing that? He does something very subtle, very subversive. Over in chapter 1, we read this last week. In chapter 1 of verse 13, here's what he says. Hey, listen, to Jesus, verse 13, he has rescued us. When you become a Christian, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now, that word dominion, he's talking about the Roman Empire. And here's what he's saying. When you become a Christian, you leave the authority of the Roman Empire. You are not ultimately under their authority. You leave the dominion of darkness, and you enter into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. Very point blank. You got to choose the kingdom of Rome or the kingdom of God. Which one do you have your foot in? And then he kind of explained how to be faithful. We talked about that. Then last week, week three, we attacked this little passage beginning at verse 15 about the supremacy of Jesus. One of the most theologically challenging verses, passages of the Bible uh, that you're ever going to see. Uh, but, but, but it's there for a reason. And here's what you need to understand. The Roman government, here was their propaganda, this little church in Colossae and all the other churches. This is what they said. They believe that the Roman Empire was God's will. That's what they believe. And if you obeyed the emperor, you were obeying God. If you disobeyed the emperor, you were disobeying God. That means that Rome was God's nation. It was really God's empire. God gave it life. God called it into being. The emperor is God's man. God's son, in fact, they even believe. So if you're going to worship, hey, if you want to worship, you don't have to worship. But if you're going to worship, you worship Augustus or Tiberius, uh, whoever is on the throne or Caligula. That's who you worship. And so they built these temples all over the place in the Roman Empire. These temples look like this. They're all over the place. You would land at some port in the Mediterranean Sea at some port. You'd get off the boat, and you look up. It'd be a temple just like this to Augustus, sometimes three and four times the size, saying, before you uh, celebrate too much, go give thanks to Augustus, your king who has given you so much. And what they're saying is, you cannot separate your religion from your nationality, from your politics. You can't, sell, you can't separate them. They're one and the same. Now, I started thinking about that. What would that look like in America today? What would that look like if that was to happen here? And what about this? What about if you went to downtown Dallas and you went to First Baptist, and in the First Baptist lobby, they had this huge, gigantic elephant. It is a statue. And so all the Republicans who wanted to worship 
You had to go to only to that church first bow. Listen, you would first bow before the elephant because it's one and the same. Then you go into worship. And then the Democrats, they would all go to downtown Fort Worth, the first Methodist, and in the foyer there'd be a big old donkey. And they would all bow and pet the donkey and bow to us all, great donkey, thank you for all you provided for us. And then they'd go in and worship God. Now that sounds sort of crazy, doesn't it? Or does it? Or does it? Because we do it often. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, they're completely and totally different. In fact, right here in this opening passage in verse 16, he says, listen, Augustus, uh, you think you have a high throne? The throne of Jesus is higher than your throne. In verse 19, hey, Augustus, hey, people of Colossae, you think Augustus, you see God in him? No, God was pleased to have all this fullness in Jesus, not in Augustus, in Jesus. And then in verse 20, he says, very interesting, the Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. This whole package was called the Pax Romana. And if you have your Bibles there, just on your own, look there at verse 20. I want you to notice what he's saying. And I'll kind of, those who don't have their Bibles, I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying if you're going to have peace, some blood's going to be shared. This is what Paul says. And Jesus says, I'm going to shed my own blood so you can have pox, peace. But what does Augustus say? I'm going to shed the blood of those people and those people and those people and those people, and I'll even shed your blood, buddy. If you don't conform to the kingdom, to the propaganda, I'll even kill you so that our nation might be at peace. But Paul says, Jesus sheds his own blood that you might have peace. And that is totally subversive. It just turns upside down everything that they believe. Then that takes us into our text for today. I'm going to read verse 24 down to chapter 2, verse 5. Here we go. Here we are today. That catches us up. End of review. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. This is Paul. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature, no longer a baby Christian, mature in Christ. And to this end I strenuously contend, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal, this is the key verse, verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God that is namely Christ, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, 
so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, this little section, if I was to sum it up all in one sentence, it is trying to challenge you and me to consider, evaluate what it means to live the glorious life. That's really what it's doing, the glorious life. So I want to do a little thing, this word, glorious life. Life. And the short form is the word glory. It should be a G-O-L-O-R-Y. What does that word glory mean? In the Greek, that word is doxa, D-O-X-A, doxa. And literally that means glory, doxa means your value or your worth. Someone's opinion of you that will last forever. That is glory. That is that doxa, doxology. And we all want to know, how am I going to go to the highest place to be respected, to be honored, to be esteemed, have value and worth? How are you doing that? That's the question of the Scripture. How are you doing that? Now, to understand this, this whole text, i got to back up and teach you something that's not right here in the Scriptures to understand the culture in which this was, this was written. There was something called the, you had the Pax Romana, but you also had the Via Romana. In your notes right there at the very top, scratch out that word Pax, Pax, please. That means peace. And write down Via. That should be the Via Romana. That is the way of the Romans or the way of life, the highway of the Romans. That's really what that means. Now, I'm going to describe to you what the Roman life was. You can't understand this scripture without understanding this. The Roman way of life was a life of shooting for honor, status, prestige, and privilege. A Roman philosopher would come to you and they would ask you a question. Tell me, how are you living your life? How are you pursuing the glorious life? And you would say, I'm ascending. You would say, I'm aspiring. It's an upward trend. So here's what a Roman citizen would say. Listen, I want nothing to do with poverty. I'm going to stay away from anyone who's impoverished. I am going to be prosperous, and I'm going to live a proper I'm going to plan my life so my life is prosperous, guaranteed. That's what a Roman would say. They would say, I want nothing to do with servanthood or slavery. I'm going to be free in my own way. I'm going to owe no one. People are going to owe me. I'm going to be indebted to no person. Shame. I want nothing to do with any human being that has any sort of shame. I'm going to be honored. I want to be honored. I'm not going to associate anyone with the lower class, broken or messed up, because I want to be known as clean and perfect and honored. Wisdom. I'm going to seek wisdom. I want knowledge. Knowledge is power. Wisdom is power. So no foolishness. No lighthearted fun and games. My am focused on attaining all of this. Being refined. I'm going to be refined. No redneck in me. I'm going to know which fork to use, which knife to use, how to hold my hand, my finger in the proper places, how to do everything in a prim and proper sort of way. Because in the Roman world, the way the Romans, you are refined, you are excellent and proud. I'm going to be proud. I'm never going to be humble. I'm never going to let anybody know that I'm broken 
because there's no problem in me because the way of the Roman is I've got my whole act together. You need to understand, in the Roman way, the Roman world, the Via Romana, uh, humility was a weakness. If you showed humility to anyone, they, humble, they would think you were weak. And if you served anyone, you didn't do that. It was, it was kind of like a sign of being a slave. So the goal, the goal of the Roman way is, man, your focus is on prestige, to have status, uh, to have style, image. That was your focus. So if you were in this Mediterranean area and you were on a ship and you docked, people would be watching you to see if you were a true Roman, to see if you knew how to order the best wines. Do you even know what the best wines are? Do you know how to order the best foods? Can you cook the best foods? And they would look at your haircut to see if the style of your hair was affluent in the Roman fashion way of life. That was the way of the Roman. Now, this was so important, and they built these statues. That was the purpose of the building of statues that you would see all over the Roman Empire. And here's an example of one of those statues. This is a statue of Augustus. You would see them everywhere. And they would say, listen, this is the sort of guy you want to be. You want to be like him. You want to look like him, be like him in every shape, form, or fashion. That's the guy you want to be. You want to do it. And then they even had a, a, another one, another face of him. This is his face. That's what he looks like, right? Uh, wisdom, knowledge. You want to aspire to be like that guy. That, that, that's, that's the Roman sort of way. That's the Roman way. And then we got another picture of his wife, Livia. Uh, this is his wife, Livia. And when I looked at this, I thought, okay, uh, uh, why was her nose knocked off? And then historically they found anyone who had a big nose, their bust, their statue didn't last very long when it failed. The nose was the first to go. It's my belief this is when nose jobs started to happen in society. <laughs> when women's noses got started knocked off on these sculptures. But you look at her hair, right? You look at her hair and you go, man, her hair is beautiful. I want to have hair just like that. I, I don't know. How, oh, that is exquisite. This is the woman you want to be. So the statues are everywhere, everywhere. Now, I started thinking, do we have that in our society? We don't have statues, but if you were going to a doctor's office, all these magazines are spread out. And two of those magazines that are very common in most offices are Cosmo and Men's Health, right? And so you open them up and you start looking, what do you see? You see Augustus. And his wife, Livia, paid, oh, you want to look like this, you want to look like that, oh, you want to be like this, you want to look like that, be like that. In fact, in men's health, right, has the guy there with his abs all ripped like a washboard. And what's that picture saying? You want to have abs like mine, buddy. Not, not me. I'm talking about the picture was saying that. You want to, or you're a loser. And that was the Roman way. Now, inside the Roman way, that's how you get your doxa, you get the glorious life. There was something called the Via Romana, the cursus honorarum. That is the course of the Roman, the, the course of honor. That if you want to have honor, this is how you do it. Now, I'm going to try to explain this best that I can. This is called the course of honor. This is how you get honor. When you were born as a child and you're planning out your life, your parents would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up if you're a Roman? And you would say, well, I want to ascend up to the glorious life of what it is to be a Roman. The higher you go, 
Because in the Roman Empire, there were slaves. They served everybody. And then there were freedmen. The freedmen are people who bought out their slavery by serving the military, or they got enough money and they bought their freedom. And then the higher up was the citizen. About 20% of the Roman Empire were citizens, and only a few of them could vote. And then above that, you had the, the uh, equestrians, which is the military, the cavalry. Then you had the decuron, which is really the overseer of the cavalry. And then you had the senators, which is the highest level of wealth. And here's what I want you to understand. The freedmen got more glory than the slave. And the citizens had more glory than the freedmen. And the equestrians had higher esteem and privilege and honor and respect than the citizen. And so my goal as a Roman is to ascend because up here is where I'm going to get glory, respect, honor, uh, prestige, privilege. That's where I'm going to get it. And then the Apostle Paul shows up. This is how you want to live your life. And then the Apostle Paul shows up. The Apostle Paul is a Roman. I want to show you what he writes. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Excuse me, Romans 1, verse 1. Romans 1, verse 1. We'll put it on the screen. I want you to see what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ. You notice he doesn't say, Paul, a Roman citizen whose glory and honor and pride is prestige because of all the friends and the people of influence that he has up here who looks down on the little people. What does he say? Paul, a servant, he's being subversive, a servant of Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. I'm a Roman and I'm a Christian. And I don't live my life this way. I live my life this way. Because that is the way of the via, B-I-A, crucis, C-R-U-C-I-S, the way of the cross. That's what he's saying. The Apostle Paul, he knew everything about the Roman life. He was a Roman. He had all this. He had the trappings. He had the wealth. He had the authority. He had the prestige. He had the honor. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to walk away from that. And I'm going to live like this. Well, I'll just explain this a little bit more. This makes sense over here in Colossians now. When we read verse 24 of the passage we just read, one of the most complicated, difficult scriptures I think that Paul wrote, he says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, that is one of the most misunderstood passages I believe that Paul has ever written. And I'm going to put on the screen here the error that I think on how many of us understand this scripture. We're going to put it up here. Can you put it up there, please? This is the error. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in Christ's sufferings. In other words, the suffering of Christ is lacking. I got to suffer more. 
And I do this for the sake of the body. In other words, Christ didn't suffer enough. So I've got to suffer on purpose as much as I can because that finishes the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And that is not true. That is a misunderstanding. There are too many people in the world who say, oh, I just got to suffer. I got to suffer. Oh, I'm suffering. Oh, it's my cross to be. Oh, they got to. No, that's not what it's saying. Here's a better interpretation of that scripture, a better option. We're going to put this on the screen. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up what is still lacking in my flesh. It's not it's lacking in Christ. It's lacking in me. It's my flesh. I'm not living out Christ's suffering for the sake of the church. And what, was, what, what, what is that? Christ descended. He descended to the way of the cross. He didn't focus on ascending to get in the glory and the honor of humanity. He descended. And that's what he's saying. That as a Roman citizen, a follower of Jesus Christ, my life is not going to be focused on climbing, 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 that I might have glory and I might have all this prestige and I might have all this honor and my worth and my value might be increased. I'm going to go the way of Jesus and I'm going to descend to the way of the cross. Whoa. And that allows him to say these very next words, verse 25, I have become its servant. Let me tell you what I'm going to do, Paul says. I'm going to give up the Via Romana because I'm afraid if I stay over here, I'm going to miss Jesus because Jesus is descending to here because that's where true glory is. The true glory is the glory of Christ in the cross. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean? This adds meaning to verses we have over in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus himself in Mark 8, 34, he says, this is what it takes to be a disciple. Maybe you now have a deeper understanding. You can understand this verse. You've heard it many times. Some of you, Mark 8, 34, will put it on the screen. Mark 8, 34. He called the crowd along with the disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves deny themselves that and take up their cross and follow me to the via crucis and lay your life down for the sake of others. A little different, isn't it? Look over in Romans chapter 8. We have another passage from Romans chapter 8. We'll put it on the screen also to help you a little bit. I know I'm turning quick to a lot of passages. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. Co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, if we share in his suffering, and thus so we share in his, what was it say, church? His glory, his opinion, his esteem, his value, what Jesus says about us, his opinion is what really, really matters. That's where true glory is. And I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory we will receive in Christ Jesus. And then over in Philippians 1, and that same little chapter, Philippians 1, verse 28, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. Hey, all of these people over here, they believe in him. 
but to suffer with him to diminish yourself to be more like Jesus, a servant of many. Then it goes on, and over in 1 Peter, one more passage, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's coming on you to test you as though something strange were happening. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Hey, I don't rejoice when everything is going perfect and I get to the top. I rejoice when with Jesus I descend and even suffer sacrificing things that I want for the sake of the Christ. That's where true glory is found. And the people of Rome said, you're crazy. Nobody lives that way, Paul. Nobody. And Paul said, Jesus did. And I'm following Jesus. And I invite you to follow him with me. Now, this is all going to become clear with this last little part right here. This last little part. It's just going to take a minute. Notice here in Colossians, in that passage we just read, three different times Paul uses the word mystery. And some of you don't have a clue what he's talking about. And here's why. In the Roman culture, they had many mystery religions. That was a religious word, mystery. It's not, hey, there's something you don't know about, and it's a secret. We're going to tell you later. That's not what it's about. It's a, it's a religious word, that word mystery. It's a religious word. It's mysterion, M-U-S-T-E-R-I-O-N in the Greek. It's actually mysterion in the Greek. It's a religious word. So here's the deal. If you're a Roman and you're a Christian, you would go to the temple to worship Augustus. You would do that. Even if you're a Christian, yes to Jesus, you go to the temple, you have to be a good Roman citizen, but you were also a part of a mysterious religious cult, and there were thousands of them, thousands of these cults. That's where you went for salvation. That's where you went to get your soul fed. The Roman way was all about things, about owning possessions and prestige and honor, but the cult was about your soul. It was about your salvation, wisdom and knowledge and secrets of life. And so you'd go to these little underground places, secretive Take a vow of silence not to tell anybody. You couldn't tell anybody what they taught you. One of those was a god named Mithros. It was a cult named Mithros. They were everywhere. This is a picture of Mithros. Mithros was a god who was born out of a rock, they believed, and that he could kill bulls with his bare hand, and that blood would come pouring out of that rock, and he would bathe himself in that blood and believe that some people had baptisms in that blood. Here's a site where they would go for, to worship Mithras. You have this little underground site. It's underground. It's dark. It's a secret. You, you didn't know what you'd show up in that little place. And they would teach you secrets about Mithras and about health and salvation and wellness. And then Jesus shows up. And he says, I've come to teach you a mystery. And they would go, hey. Paul, we already have our own mystery. We don't need another mystery. I have my mystery cult. I have it. He said, no, 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 no. I've come to tell you a mystery. You're looking for peace in the Pax Romana. You're looking for glory in the Via Romana. And you're looking for salvation in Mithras or whatever little secret cult you're a part of. But I'm here to tell you. 
You can find it all in Jesus. In Jesus Christ is everything that you're looking for, for the glorious life. Now, here's the heart of what I want you to take. The glorious life, the glorious life, the life that has meaning, the life that has value, the life that has worth, it is found in descending to sacrificial service. I mean, that's the gate. The gateway to a meaningful life is to come descend with Jesus who didn't count equality with God as something to, but who emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant and began to serve all these people up here who thought they were all that, who had all that prestige and had that all honor. But when you get here, that's a life that is glorious. Now, let me ask you something. When you're born in America, is there something called the American way? The Via Americana? I got to be the smartest. You got to be at the top of the class. You got to be the fastest, the best looking, the cutest, all this sort of stuff, the very top, top. Because if only if you get ascend, are you going to be glory and honor and prestige and get awards and be special and everything like that? And you and I buy into it, hook, line, and sinker. And when you get to the end of your life, when you get to the end of your life, I wonder how many of you work for somebody who they're all that. They're your boss or they're the head of the house. Hey, I'm the head of the house. I'm the boss. I'm the char I'm in charge. You all exist to serve me to make my life better. You're here for me, right? Y'all know people like, y'all know athletes, the best athletes in the world. I mean, I am here. I'm the best. I'm the greatest. But then there are a few people. You know of somebody who's the boss, and they say, I exist to serve you. A husband in the house, head of the house, but I exist to lower myself and to serve my family. Isn't it true? You see people who think they're all that, and you go, Get them. But when you see somebody who humbles himself and descends to serve other people, you go, oh, wow. So let me ask you, where do you need to descend in your life? I'm telling you, the higher you go, the more opportunity you have to descend and serve other people. Wealth, influence, 
position, God can put you there so you can descend to lift others up. Because that's what Jesus did. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. So let me ask you, men, head of the house, how you serve in your family? How you serving your wife? How you serving your kids? How you serve? Have you emptied yourself? Hey, bosses who own companies, who have managers of people, do they exist for you? Or are you there for them to lift them up? Or is it all about you? I'm just asking. So, God, we all want our life to matter. We all want our life to count, God. And, and we have been so brainwashed about what the goals of life are, the glorious life, the good life, the wonderful life. Oh, God, could you please give us the courage to follow the way of Jesus, to be a disciple, not just a believer, a disciple of Jesus, that you might use us to wash the feet, to hug the leper, to listen to the brokenhearted, to care for the lost, to reach out to those who are on the outside, to love those who are completely and totally unlovable. Teach us to find glory the serving of others. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen and amen. Thank you for coming. We'll pick up here next week. We'll do it again.